0: Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Good morning, church. Oh, we can do better than that. Good morning, church. There you go. We can talk in here. Open your Bibles to Psalm 13. If you want to keep that ready, we'd love for you to have this short little song in the psaltery available to you so you can see... What I see in the text as we hope to encourage each other. If you're visiting Christ Church, my name is Mark and we're glad you're here. Uh, We're in a series called The Pursuit of Wisdom. So, whether you're home or with us here in the building, we're looking at this how do the Psalms and Proverbs structure us and guide us in such a way that we can understand what is wise and how do we live wisely the way God intends us to? So, today's message is a simple message. It's actually, praise God, brief. No? Okay, I can go long. But anyway, it's relatively short, but it also is a controversial message that has some risks associated with it. And what I mean by that is not necessarily in this room I think I'm gonna get pushback on it, but it'd be really easy for someone who doesn't believe in what we believe in and the tenets of our faith to look at this text in particular and say he's explaining it away. See, some people could look at Psalm 13 and see it as an explanation for a disappointing God. What do you do when God disappoints you? What do you do when God doesn't meet your every need? It also could be seen as an excuse for the ineffectiveness of faith. That this is a song written about my faith isn't working and why isn't it working? I'd prefer that we see this text the way David would have uh, written it, in such a way that we see how do we drive in deeper to our faith in moments when we have a reason not to. In other words, what do we do when God disappoints us? What do we do when we're discouraged? What do we do when the things we most want from God aren't delivered? Do we walk away or do we dive in deeper? Have you ever asked yourself to question, where is God? Have you ever asked a question, why isn't he responding? Why isn't he answering? Why am I not getting any help? Now, I'm going to be a little playful this morning, but if you're sitting there going, I've never done that, I question whether you're telling me the truth. Let me pose it this way. If you haven't said it yet, you will because God's time frame and God's ways are not ours. They're different, they're unique. And God is going to do what God needs to do even when it's not what we want or need him to do. If you've ever wondered, where is God when I really needed him? Why is it that God seems so far away? You're asking the question that's posed in the song. How long Lord, how long? David wrote this Psalm when he was being pursued by King Saul. Let me give you just a 30-second brief background of the text. So King Saul was named king, and then God said, no, David's going to be my king because King Saul could not be led. He was impetuous, he was compulsive, he did things he was told not to do. And so God took his kingdom away from him and gave it to David. Well, King Saul decided he didn't like this, so he was going to have David killed. And he sent his assassins after David. David had to flee his own home. He was married to one of uh, Saul's daughters. He he had to flee his home and he had to go live in enemy-occupied territory, the Moabite land. He went and lived with the Moabites and he had destroyed their kingdom. He had attacked them and taken control of them. So he couldn't even let them know he was there, but he was living in enemy territory in the wilderness. All the comforts of family and home and provisions were all gone and he had done nothing wrong. Now I'm not suggesting that David was sinless, but in this moment he was innocent and he begins to write this song in the midst of that innocence to cry out to God, why aren't you helping me? Now, maybe the situation that you're facing is, I hope none of you had to flee assassins to come to church this morning. But your situation may not be life-threatening. It may be life-draining. Maybe it's financial difficulties you're facing. You've been laid off. Your job's been terminated. Or you have a job, but you can't go back to work yet. You're trying to figure out how to piece this all together. You're wondering, when is God gonna enter, uh, end this madness and give us hope? Maybe it's a sickness, an illness, an illness. Maybe you've had the virus and complications or maybe you're facing cancer or you know someone you love that is. Maybe you have a wayward child. Maybe you're in a relationship or in your marriage right now and if God doesn't rescue it, in the next seven days it can't be rescued. Maybe you're living under this panic, then you'll understand what this psalm is writing and what it's calling out to be. You pray and nothing changes. You have prayed, you have done your part and nothing's different. Why doesn't God move like he did that one time? Remember that one time when he answered your prayer and it was so clear? Why isn't God doing that now? Or why why doesn't he work in your life like he always seems to work in that person's life? You know, that, that man or that woman that always has an amazing story to tell about how God stepped in and talked to him in the middle of the night, and you just wonder, does God love that person more than he loves me? How long, Lord? How long do we wait? I wanna be very clear But there will be people that think I'm explaining this psalm away to make Christianity look better, and I'm not. I do not need to give a defense of the silence of God. He doesn't need me to defend him. In fact, his ways are different than ours. And his wisdom is not conditional, it's exceptional. Each and every time, God will do the right thing in the right way at the right time, every single time. That's why we're pursuing his wisdom, and not just our own. I want you to think of Jonah, the story of Jonah in the Old Testament. Jonah did not wanna do what God wanted him to do, so he concluded that being abandoned or abandoning God and getting as far away from God as he possibly could get was the solution to his problem. So he got on a boat to go to the opposite direction of where he was told to go, and there was a great storm. He was thrown over the boat into the water. He was swallowed by a great fish. In, in the one place in the world that he could not have been farther from God, what was his first impulse? To pray. And in the belly of the great fish, he cried out to God and God delivered him. Now, God had him puked up on a beach, but God delivered him. Remember, God's ways are not our ways. And God will do the right thing in the right way at the right time all the time. And so in this moment, you have this desire in every one of us to wonder that why doesn't God care for me? And if God's not gonna care for me, then forget God. Those feelings of abandonment are more common than we want to admit, especially in the church. We have somehow bought into this concept that we can't be honest about our doubts, that we can't be honest about our fears, that we can't be honest about our feelings. And I wanna say here today, I, I encourage you, I am begging you, God's a big boy. He can handle your questions because he already knows you have them. He knows you're struggling with them. And God looks at you and says, what's the matter? you like, nothing. He knows. God's a big boy. He can handle the challenges. He's not threatened by us. Remember, God will do the right thing in the right way at the right time all the time. And so we need to become honest. And yet in the church, we wonder, can I really be that honest? Can I share what I'm struggling with and what I'm concerned about and what I fear? And my answer to you is yes, because if David is a man after God's own heart, according to scripture, he did, he lived, he prospered, and he was answered. So there's hope in this text for all of us. We can learn from David There's three brief movements in these six verses, and here's what it looks like. David feels like God has forsaken him, abandoned him, if you will. The second movement is that David does the hardest thing that you can do when you feel abandoned by God. David prays more, not less. David doesn't abandon prayer. He dives deeper into it. If you hear nothing else I say this morning, remember that. What do you do when it seems like God's farther away? You don't become farther away, you go closer. And the third movement is David expresses a celebration of faith in a God who has disappointed him. So three very short brief points. The struggle is real. Look at verses one and two. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Four times, how long? How long? How long? How long? It's a long struggle that we're faced with here. In verse one, he says, how long will you forget me forever? David asks an important question because he's had a relationship with God. He's been a man who's pursued the heart of God. He's experienced the heart of God. He knows who God is and he misses it so desperately much. But this is a struggle that's been going on for a long season. You'll find in scripture, all of us have this stamina that if we take a body blow, if you will, an emotional punch, and and we're a little bit devastated by that, we can sustain that until they keep coming and coming and coming and coming. The story of Job is the perfect example Job had devastation, hit his life in rap, rapid succession, and yet at the end of it, Job said these words, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, but bless me the name of my God. So in the midst of the rapid succession of, of punishment and suffering and hurt, Job could still say, I know who God is, I know who God is, but when this carried on longer and longer and Job began to see his experience and wonder if anything would ever change, then it began to overwhelm him. And for a lot of us, we can handle the brief being knocked off our feet, but when it happens day after day after day and we cry out to God and there's no answer, we can become disappointed. David asked, Will you forget me forever? If you're a parent, I think you'll understand with an experience we've all had. Do you know that moment when you have about a 30 second window when your kids get really, really tired? You know, there's part of it when they get really cuddly and they wanna sit in your lap and they just wanna be held and you realize you better get into bed. Have you crossed that one 30 second bridge when they lose their ever loving minds on the other side of it? You know, when they become overly emotional, everything's a big deal. You go to put them to bed and you, sit, you start to pray with them and they're like, I have no friends. And you're like, oh no, this is gonna be hours of drama and trauma and you're gonna have to, overly, is David overly tired here? Yeah, he's tired. He's not ridiculous though. This has been going on for months. He's living in a land where he is the identified enemy. If they find him there, they will take his life. And then on top of it, he's saying to God, I didn't do anything wrong. Your king is trying to kill me and you made me the king. David's got a legitimate feeling here. You see, there's a loss of blessing in verse one. How long will you hide your face from me? This hiding face or turning face in in the Hebrew mind is an idiom. It's it's an expression that means to pay attention to. David says, I remember God when when you watched my every step. And I wonder now if you even know I'm here. Do you know what I'm going to? Would you turn your face for me? Could I have your attention both of my boys did this to Heather and I. We thought it was the cutest little thing. They'd take their little chubby hands and grab your cheeks when they wanted to tell you something serious and make you look at them. But it was funny. When I would try as a dad to make them look at me when I was talking with them, they wanted nothing to do with it. But what do we want? You really know someone that you have their attention when they give you their eyes. When they turn their expression towards you and they're not looking over at your shoulder at the ball game or looking out the window at the dog. They're actually looking at you. And David says, I remember when I had God's attention. And he says, what I'm crying out is, Father, have I lost that? Have I lost that connection with you? It happens in our families. It happens in our work. It even happens in our churches. Where there's this growth and growth, and there's this sense that we're really going someplace, and then things, as human nature is undefeated, they plateau out for a season. And many of us struggle with that, because what was exciting, when it becomes normal, becomes ugh. David's saying, I remember these great moments with you, God, and now it feels like I don't even have your attention. And we have to be really careful because David's about to enter into this thing called feelings. And he's expressing real feelings. I don't want to belabor this. But if you think about it, you don't get to choose what makes you mad, what makes you laugh, or what makes you cry. You don't choose those things. They happen to you. I'm surprised at the things that make me cry. I have horrified my family at the things that make me laugh, and I can't get over what makes me angry. Some of the small, loud noises, and I could wipe out a nation. I don't know why that happens. But for any noise that doesn't need to be made that's loud and sudden, I just become a jerk. And I wish I could say, well, I need to stop doing that. Yeah, but I can't predict loud noises, and my reaction's going to be my reaction. How I respond to these emotions. You see, what David expresses here is not a sin, it's real. It's legitimate, but it needs to be dealt with. And what I wanna show you is in this moment when David's asking these questions, he's being honest about his feelings. And I want you to be honest about your feelings. God's not threatened by him. But when your feelings overwhelm the facts of faith, you have to choose. Because when your feelings make you question the grace and forgiveness and goodness of God, you've got it wrong. I know why we feel that way. But that doesn't mean it's okay to continue to feel that way. Church, give me an amen if you know what I'm talking about. There's a, you have to face feelings with facts about faith. And when you do that, you're going to see this is what David does, and it's healthy. Because David says, continuing about his dark thoughts, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? That's fear. That's worry. That's fatigue. He's saying, my heart is heavy, Lord. And when feelings question our status with God, we have to be really careful. Second movement in this is the beautiful spot of this psalm. And it's the reason I chose this psalm is that the answer is present. Verses three and four. Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. See, at the end of this psalm, you heard Olivia read it for us this morning as we prepared ourselves to continue in our worship and to focus our minds. You heard Olivia read it. the the end of this psalm, the fifth and sixth verse ends with the celebration that God can be trusted. And David's proclamation, I will trust you. How does that happen when the beginning of the psalm begins with, God, are you even noticing what I'm going through? It ends with, I've noticed you. How does that happen? Well, the turning point was prayer. I'm not suggesting here that that David uh, had a great prayer, an epic prayer, a prayer that should have been written down. I'm not believing it's even a proven prayer. All I know is he prayed. He simply went to God in honesty, facing the circumstances he was facing. In the face of delay, defeat, fear, fatigue, he prayed. He prayed when his other prayers hadn't been answered. He prayed when he had a legitimate reason to stop praying, but he prayed. And I wonder if the difference between his drawing closer to God in that moment is the reason I haven't. Is because if you try prayer one time and it doesn't work, what do you do? You move on to something else. And David's like, no, I'm gonna continue because I know who I'm talking to. I'm going after him. I'm gonna be relentless because I know he's there. You see, I know it's strange, but if you feel abandoned by somebody, it's because there is a somebody who you feel abandoned by. David's calling out to God, how long, God, is not rhetorical. He actually knows that there is a God who's alive, exists, and cares for him, and he just wonders in the silence, in the fatigue, in the fear, what's going on? It's a great question. So what are we to do regardless of our feelings? Pray. Draw in deeper Go further, pursue more. How do I know that David prayed? Because you say, there's no section here that says he prays. He just wrote this piece of poetry, this song. Well, actually, when he says, oh, Lord, my God. Now, in the English language to us, we use those terms meaninglessly, if you will. I I don't mean to offend, but God, Lord, Jesus. I mean, those are terms that fall out of our face with maybe not the amount of reverence they should. Let me explain. What David says here is he says, oh, Jehovah, my Elohim. Oh, the covenant-keeping God who is all-powerful. That's how I know he prayed. Because he reminds himself who God is. He says, you are the covenant-keeping God of faithfulness. You are the all-powerful God. That's who I'm talking to. That's a prayer. That's acknowledging God's beauty and glory. And then he asks for two things. Notice me, look on me, and open my eyes. He trusts in God's power. David can't fix his circumstance. So he says, God, look, notice my circumstances. Only you, Jehovah, or excuse me, Elohim, only you have the power to fix this. And then he says, Jehovah, the covenant keeping God, open my eyes that I can see what you're doing. Let me know your presence. Let me experience this one more time. He remembers God's faithfulness. His struggle was real, and the answer was right there with him the entire time. And that brings us to the third and final point. The trust must be ours. See, when you look at a covenant keeping God, God is doing what God does because God is who he is. God's promise of keeping his covenant is a gift to all of us. It's because of his faithfulness, not our own. But listen to what David brings to the table because we do bring something in our trust. He said, I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Notice that David is basing his trust on all that God is and all that God has already done. And by having done that, then he says, I'm trusting in that. David's not trusting in his own power. He's not trusting in his own prayer. He's trusting in the God he's talking to. And that's the reason I chose the 13th Psalm as a part of our pursuit of wisdom, is there will be moments when God is disappointing. That might make you uncomfortable to hear, but he's disappointing what? What I thought, what I wanted, what I thought I needed. Remember, God may be not working on my problem as much as he may be working on my person. And so he's changing around me. See, nothing has changed for David, yet everything will change. And David is betting his life on that, that even though nothing has changed currently, everything will change because God said it would. Our faith is enacted by our prayers and our feelings must be submitted to our faith. The faith that drives us to pray is the faith in who we pray to. And when our feelings and our faith are contradicting one another, the 13th Psalm shows me such a simple thing to do. Go back to the facts of faith and that will change my feelings. David chose faith based on who God is not based on whether or not God did what he wanted him to do. So when you're down and scared, what do you hold on to? What are we supposed to do in those moments when we really are truly frightened? And not in a nonsensical way or overly emotional way, but in those moments that things are hard, what do we do? You see, this brings me to the gospel in Psalm 13. You see, in that moment, this father that we pray to is or this God we pray to is the one Jesus told us to call father. It's a relationship. It's not just a king and a servant. He actually says, I don't call you my slaves, you're my friends. And Jesus showed us that the the God who we pray to is the God of a loving relationship, a covenant-keeping, all-powerful God, a father who is for us. But I also want you to see the gospel inherent in this text. That's the same father that Jesus cried out to on the cross when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken? Let me start over. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? David's prayer in Psalm 13 was virtually spoken by Jesus. When he cried out to God, where are you? Why have you abandoned me? You see, the gospel is found that the father who allowed Jesus to take all of what we deserved in the abandonment on the cross, that Jesus took that for us so that you and I could live free. That is the solution to this. And David said, I will praise you for your salvation. Knowing that Jesus, the lineage of David, of the family tree would be the one who would take on our abandonment we deserved to hear from God that God would turn his face toward us and that he would be good to us. There's this really interesting passage at the end of your Bible in the revelation that was given to John. There's this interesting passage. In Revelation chapter six, there's a moment where people that had died for the work of the kingdom, who had given their life and were martyred, cry out to Jesus. And they're like, when? We know you're gonna do this and fix this and bring this all together. Your kingdom's gonna come to earth and you're gonna reestablish everything that was lost in the Garden of Eden is gonna be restored. When are you gonna do this? They're over, over, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And Jesus, interestingly enough, at the end of the revelation in Revelation 22, after this epic picture of God's control and God's power and authority is displayed. In chapter 22, verse seven, Jesus said, behold, I am coming soon. In verse 12, behold, I am coming soon. In verse 20, yes, I am coming soon. Now I'd like to have a conversation with God about the definition of soon. How about you? Because one of the reasons we struggle is we've been waiting and waiting and waiting and it hasn't happened. 2,000 years it hasn't happened yet and the world says, see, your preacher's just spinning this text to make God look good, but the fact is God's sometimes disappointing. But I want you to remember Jesus said, no, I'm coming, trust me. I'm coming soon, trust me, yes, I am coming back soon. And at the end of the book, in Revelation twenty two twenty, it says, amen, come Lord Jesus. And that's what we pray. We pray that God would bring about every promise exactly like he said, even if we struggle to wait, even if it's disappointing to wait, even if we're discouraged, we wait. I don't know what you're going through and I don't assume I can, but I do know this. If you feel like the burden is hard, if you feel like the waiting is hard, if you feel like what you're going through is real and I'm sure it is, I don't know when it will lift, but I know who will lift it. I don't know the pressure you're under and the fears you're under. I don't know when they'll go away, but I know when they do, who will be standing there, who will have lifted the curtain behind your entire story to show you what he has been doing every day of your life. His face has never turned from you. He knows every detail of your story. He is your God. He is with you. His spirit is speaking to you. He is guiding you and loving you. David's problem led to prayer and his prayer led to peace. And that's why the Psalm 13 is used, to remind us that at the end of this story, God can be trusted even in our discouragement. The Apostle Paul put it this way in a letter to a group in Philippi, Philippians chapter four, verses six and seven. And I wanna show you a correlation in verse seven that I think is interesting to Psalm 13. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So what are we to see in verse seven? And the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds, your emotions and the facts. The entirety of your experience with God I want you to hear my heart today. Your feelings are legitimate. Your feelings are real. They come to you. Your reactions to them based on faith can allow your feelings to even understand God more completely to the best of our ability, to experience all that God has for you. And we're even told in our New Testament that the suffering and the trials we go through are something God wants us to experience so he can strengthen our faith. May the peace of God guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. So to preach about prayer and not pray is a fool's game. And I don't wanna be a fool. See, some of us in this room are underwater. We can hardly breathe. We're struggling. Maybe it's our jobs. Maybe you've lost your job or maybe you're wondering how you're gonna pay your bills and you're praying and you're praying and you're trying to do the right things and you feel like God's not responding. And I'm telling you today, we're gonna give you a chance. Talk to him about that. Tell him the truth. Tell him what you're feeling. Tell him what you're thinking and then lean into your faith. Be honest with God because he can handle it and he wants it. Maybe your life is so average and mundane, you're so tired of having things taken and so tired of going through the same routine. I know I am. And maybe you're just at that stage where you're just like, God, I just, I, I want something. I just need to know this isn't the rest of my life like Job struggled with. Maybe right now, God is so real and so apparent in your life. You're so connected to him. You're feeling the joy of this and you're singing the fifth and sixth verse of this psalm. Wherever you are at in the journey, what we wanna do today is spend a few moments, have a conversation with God. Maybe your conversation is, how long, Lord? I know you're faithful, how long? Maybe it's, Father, help me see, open my eyes enlighten my eyes that I may see what you're doing or maybe it's at the end I will sing of your salvation I will sing of your praise and I will honor you this morning I'm gonna ask that we just take a brief moment in this space together each one of us going to God having the conversation our heart wants to have they sing your song to him he'll hear your words and when we're done I'll pray God, we thank you. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you that we can tell you the truth. We don't have to hide our feelings and our fears. We know that as David did, we can be honest with you and pursue you more. Thank you for being Jehovah Elohim, the promise keeping all powerful God who cares for us. You've not dismissed us. You've not given us what we deserve. You've given us kindness. You've given us your son that we believe that the price he paid on Calvary was our price so that we could live in the promises of your goodness, of your faithfulness, and of your care. Father, even in your silence, we come to you. Help us be a praying people. Prayer requires a lot of patience, requires a lot of wisdom, requires a lot of trust. Expand our faith, expand our minds. Allow us to live wholeheartedly with you loving and serving and trusting you even in the silence, even in the disappointments, even in the fatigue. Father, we need you and you know this. You want nothing more than for us to come to you and give ourselves to you. I pray for those that are struggling and wondering if this will ever end, whatever they're under. I pray for those that are celebrating today your goodness again. Unite our hearts. Let us strengthen and encourage each other because through your spirit, through the gift of your son, we can ask you hard questions and get great loving responses as we patiently wait father encourage our hearts as we sing these next few songs today as a testimony to our belief in you father may celebration and rejoicing break out in our presence as we see revealed through your spirit who we're praying who we're singing to and who we're loving we pray this in jesus name amen Let's stand together. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christchurch in general, visit us online at cco.church.